James Pennington. If your name is James Pennington, you have won this Immortal Hulk issue number seven, 9.8, signed Alex Ross. If you want to uh, claim this, the information is in the description. And if you happen to like slabs, then you should probably keep watching because we're giving away another slab at the end of this video. Stay tuned. Comic fam, we are back. Bags and Boards, podcast number 32. And I got fire. Guy, Ryan, it's been way too long. It has. Things have been uh, chaotic in the world, though. So I've been staying 6,000 feet away from you for a long time now. So. Hey, now we are back in studio. We are distance. We are being safe. We're wearing masks when we go out. We are scripting kind of like, you know, outside and doing what we got to do to bring the heat for the comic fam. And we got a pack show for them today. Hit the subscribe button. We make this video. We try to make the podcast every single week. We're getting back on schedule. We used to make it every single week and now it, now we're doing it every week again. So it's, it's good to be back. Hit the like button because you know what? It shows your support of our show and we have a lot of fun stuff to chat about. We have more Peach Momoko goodness that we got to discuss. Some real first conversations will be taking place today. We also are going to talk about some Playboy, right? You we know. always talk about, you know, porn on this on this channel. So straight up nudity. You're right. going to get it on this channel. Of us. Yep. Us. <laughs> no, not of us. No, no, no. No, no. We're going to take you to Japan. It'll make sense in a second. And we also are going to chat... Brian, Michael, Bendis, Ooh. DC, Spec, Collecting, Superman. Let's get into it. Woo. All right. First off, we're talking about Japanese Playboys. <laughs> you know I love me some Playboy, right? I do. You talk about it all the time. Specifically, 10 issues of Playboy that came out in the 70s in Japan. Now, this is a fun one because this started a conversation that has expanded and has become part of the show. Do you remember? Foreign comics. I Foreign do. comics. I do remember. Do you remember how that went down? I don't remember that well. Well, Why basically, don't you enlighten me. I'll, I'll I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back and shout out to all the new members who weren't here for when we experienced this the first time. But Bleeding Cool had done a re like a article reporting sure. on Matthew Royball, who is a foreign comic enthusiast. This guy is filled a wealth of information, and he's part of the Foreign Comic Collector Magazine Facebook group, which is a great group for every member of this community to join if you have any interest in foreign comics. I'm going to put the link in the description below because it's a community filled with people from around the world who all have a passion for this kind of stuff. And Matthew, he got published on Bleeding Cool, but they inaccurately cited his article. I remember that. So what happened is he had an issue of 39 of the Japanese Playboy, and Bleeding Cool thought that that was the first comic appearance of Spider-Man in official Marvel capacity in Japan being featured. But that wasn't the case. And we actually went onto the mic to talk about this because it started the questions. I'm like, first off, wait, Japanese Playboy, what? Marvel in comics in a Playboy, what? I, I got to know more information. And what we found out as like new foreign collectors and, and, and learning about this stuff is that in Japan, they had an opportunity to team up with Marvel because at the time, Marvel was in a constant state of about to go out of business, right? right? Selling comics has not gotten easier over time, right? They have to get creative. And one of the ways is that they would sell IPs all over the place, their intellectual properties, specifically to other countries to try to get their communities into American superheroes. Hey, it's selling out here in the States. Maybe you'll sell over there. Not a bad idea. Right? Just put it into some Playboy and see how that goes. Well, that's the thing. You know, Marvel didn't care what their intellectual properties were going to be inserted in or where they were going to go. They just wanted to sell it. Hey, give it to your community. Now, in Japan, some interesting things about this particular country as it pertains to comic collecting, paper over there 
is not the most easy-to-come-by commodity, especially back then. Because of weather, things like tsunamis, natural disasters, there was a lot of opportunities for things to go wrong if you had your money in print. They're an island. I imagine there's not that much room for like trees and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they had their limitations, you know. So you have this opportunity for Marvel to introduce Spider-Man, their new biggest selling character, to other countries. In Japan, they were all about it. And in particular, the Japanese Playboy magazine thought, hey, we can actually utilize this and insert it to fill up our magazine if we find ourselves short of pages. Now, first thing I want to say is all of this stuff that we're talking about is completely hypothetical. The editors in Japan back then, probably not even alive anymore. This stuff isn't documented in history. Heck, these magazines, if you want to get them, it's going to be hard to find. But if you do, you're not going to find anything online about them. You're not going to find interiors of them. You got to get them in hand. You got to know somebody in Japan. You got to know the foreign collecting market out here in the States. So we did this video and we brought a lot of attention to the foreign comic book market. And shout out to Nico from Comic Book Wars, who I actually bought a bunch of those El Sorprendente Hombre Araña books from, he actually sent me a gift in addition to a lot of books, and he sent me this. Wow. This right here. So we're going to show it on screen, and I would actually like you to take a look at this, Ryan, because um, you kind of have an idea of what you're about to jump into, I'm sure. Uh, I have so much familiarity with American Playboy. <laughs> oh, goodness. <Okay. laughs> so um, let Ryan experience what's inside of this book because we can't really show a lot of it on screen. But what I would like you to do is head to the Spider-Man section because we're going to chat about Spider-Man in this book here. Bob Marley's in here. Bob Marley is in there. There's a lot of fun stuff. <laughs> All right. Okay. It's, they had to sell it. They had to get this stuff out there, and this is how they chose to do it. And Furniture? In, yeah, everything, man. There's furniture advertisements in here? There, dude, there's a lot more than that. But... Let's actually take it back to the 70s when this was originally printed. So what you're going to find in these issues are a short four pages in each one of these comics. Now, I was able to validate a few of them to only have four um, until I see others in hand. I can't say for all 10 there's only four, but it's very likely that it is. Found so it. it's backwards. So you're going to want to start the other way. There we yep. go. So this insert is actually of Amazing Spider-Man issue number 48. And it's a classic vulture story done by both Stan Lee and not the person that is listed on that page. Larry Lieber. Yeah, he didn't do the pencils here. So this is actually our first sign of something screwy going on. So now that I have this in hand, I can actually do some dissecting, some research. Like, what did they do? The first thing that I'm seeing is that they printed all of these in this magazine on newspaper. And what you're going to find in here for the examples that we can show on screen is a bunch of newspaper paper in there. Right. But there's also photographic paper that you would find in like a magazine, correct? Oh, yeah. So how do they feel? They feel a little different, yeah? These feel newspapery. That's a, that's, that, that is exactly what it is. That's yeah. what it feels like. And then uh, the... No, I don't want to lose my spot because it took me forever to find this comic. Only four pages. Not that big. Mostly newspaper. But then the more Playboy sections <laughs> are magazine papery, like more glossy. Well, you got to have that four color printer if you're going to make a glossy, you know, full photo image on the page. Now, back in the 70s, this isn't very common. And in this right. particular book, you can actually tell that they inserted these pages 
within like in between the newspaper. So that tells us some things. It tells us that their main printer did not have color. They likely got these pages printed, the photography, the nudity that would be found in this comic book from a a, a different place, a different printer. So Spider-Man was at the whims of what they had. And what they had clearly was newspaper and not a four-color printer. It's like a a one-color printer. (laughs) Can you you explain what four-color printing is? Right. So uh, when you're in kindergarten, you learn that you can mix together blue and yellow and make green, for example. So four-color printing is the use of just four colors, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And with all of those, they could just make everything they need. They would have wished to have a four-color printer, but first off, back then, four-color printers were expensive, right? And clearly, their main articles that they were writing were not being printed on something that required a four-color printer. So they did what many other publishing companies in other countries and within the States have done, and that is utilize what colors they had, whether it's only two colors or three, and the main color that would be used to separate the blacks, the grays, and those tones, well, sometimes they would be just one particular cover. And you're going to see that in like manga. You're going to see that in like Arabic comics. You're going to see that in comics that were printed in Greek. And you'll you'll notice with these pictures here that we're putting up on screen, the Spider-Man images, the panels, there is saturation of red all over the place. And that's because they use red as their main source of color for these books because that's what they had to print. But it gets even more interesting because only four pages, right? I'm like, you can't, you can't have the whole comic in four pages. Like, they, what'd they do? Like, let's actually figure out what they did to sell Spider-Man in Japan. Well, the first thing they did is they cut parts of the story out. They straight up removed panels. They had to fit it within four pages and they had to tell a cohesive story that someone could read and get a good understanding of. They also had issues coming out monthly. So if they had to continue the story, they had that opportunity. So in this particular example, in issue number 48, we have a vulture story that has not just have like panels removed and rearranged. What we're seeing, not just in this magazine, but others that they would take panels from even other issues to incorporate into these stories to just try to make them a little bit more sense based off the limitations that they had with how many pages they were going to print. If they're cutting so much out, then you're, you're going to end up cutting stuff out that kind of makes the story work. So I guess they're just removing those, those panels and like saving them in a, file, in a folder somewhere for later. Well, and- what's kind of fun with this one in particular is that in issue 48, there is a Gwen Stacy appearance. And there is no sign of Gwen Stacy right? She's not in, in here. any of the prior issues. So you would think, based off of the panels and the position of these panels, that you would get the Gwen Stacy shots in this particular book. But those panels were actually cut out and added to the next issue in issue 39. They rearranged it just to make it make sense. This issue doesn't even have the final like fight scene sequence. You have the whole buildup of the vulture and Spider-Man about to go out and kick some ass, and then it stops. And if you would please turn the next page to get to the spread to show the final page. When you say spread... I mean the spread. I want you to see it. Like the centerfold. The centerfold. Why don't you take a look at that centerfold? So I'm turning this page? There's no Spider-Man No, no, no. This this one, that, that one right there. What is adjacent to the Spider-Man on the right. A, a naked female lady. 
Yes, we have. I think her name's on there too. Jenny, Jim, Jimny. Yeah, we're going to edit this photo so we can show it on YouTube. But this right here, this two-page spread with nudity on one end and a kid's comic on the other. That is what makes these books special because sometimes in the foreign market, comic books were rewritten, man. They were redrawn. Like sometimes it was too mature. Sometimes the, the cultural translations needed to be changed. They had to get creative to make it work within their society. But in this case, because this was for adult readers, they didn't have to do that. So what we're seeing here, at least what we hypothesize, is that within these pages, they had to restructure everything just for the sake of being able to make it in print and so it would fit in this magazine. I don't think this would work in America. You don't think so? You don't think Marvel would go this route again? I don't think parents would approve of having to buy playboys for their children to read spider-man and yeah i don't think uh especially now that disney owns marvel i don't think they would approve of spider-man being so close to such raunchy images i completely agree with you let's actually take a look at issue number 32 the first time that spider-man was inserted into a playboy i don't have this copy eventually i'm gonna grab one and i would love to dissect it on screen for the comic fam in an edited capacity so we don't get removed from YouTube. But in issue 32, I found out some really cool information. And I want to give a big, big thank you to Robert Fordham. He actually reached out to me with Matthew Royball's help to give me some more information on these because he's a collector of these issues and has a lot of them. And what he told me was fascinating. Issue number 32, for quite a long time, Members of the foreign comic market thought that the pages on the inside was a unique story that was rewritten by Japanese writers. And the reason is, is because it's a retelling of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. Right. But here's the thing. The pages aren't the same. It's a different style. It's a different story. It's different art, right? So what was thought is because these panels were all over the place. It's just no one recognized them. It's in Japanese. Oh, wow. They really went all out. Like they had to change everything. But as the foreign comic book collecting market began to form and more individuals got into this, research started to happen. And what was misunderstood is that the panels weren't being recognized, not because they were new. No, it's because they were pulling panels from all over the place. But the heart of the story, this reprint of Amazing Fantasy 15, was actually a black and white magazine that came out in the States, Spectacular Spider-Man, the magazine. And in the backup story, there is a retelling of the Peter Parker origin story told by Stan Lee. Ugh. So what they did is they found that, inserted it in the Japanese Playboy, and then just mixed it, mixed stuff in, added some things different, rearranged some stuff, and released it. What a cool experiment that must be, too, to like try and recreate a, an existing Spider-Man story using only panels from like any other Spider-Man comic ever. Just like cut and paste and like create some kind of Frankenstein monster of a comic story. It's like, hey, we're referencing this particular villain. Let's go and find him from one of the other issues. It tells me that when these publishing companies were presented Marvel IPs in different comics, they must have had a plethora of opportunities and examples to source from. I mean, why else would they just go all over the place? Hey, let's find the Spectacular magazine. Hey, let's get ASM 48. And let's actually tell the rest of the story in the next one. Like, they were just looking for things that they thought they would sell. But they only had four pages to do it. Uh, I'm getting stressed out just hearing it. Like, I can't imagine what that would be like to make. 
imagine what it would be like to hunt for. Like there's a lot of collectors that are looking for this stuff and it adds so much to the hunt. And I think that right there is the heart of like the foreign comic market is that it's like a combination of two things. Um, This is a quote from Matthew Royball that I had to write down. He said, it's a combination of archaeology and sociology because you're having to uncover things from the past. You're having to dig. You're having to hunt and dig and source and research to find out what comics these even are. And this is just one example of one country that printed one IP from Marvel. There's so many others. We talk about them all the time. But that doesn't end there because the hunt, it requires more than archaeological experience. It requires So the sociology part, the community part, how do you team up and find these? How do you get these? Do you just go to your LCS and they have a Japanese Playboy from the 70s on the wall? No. You go into garage sales hoping that grandma didn't throw away the Playboy that her her husband had from when he was younger that they happened to keep? Because that happens all the time. But no, you're not going to find this there. No, you got to know someone in Japan. You got to know the foreign collectors that are that are researching this stuff and you got to be part of these groups. And that's the, the community aspect of it that to me has brought me so deep into this collecting because we have peeps in this market that know this stuff so well and it's because they've been at it for a decade plus. Comics too usually feels like a really lonely kind of isolated hobby too. So it's fun to find ways to throw yourself into various communities as you say and and meet people and have conversations with new people and and make friendships even. So it all it all kind of fits together. Comic fam, we got to know, what do you think about this foreign comic section? Am I getting you more interested in the hunt? I got to know. Let me know and I'll bring more to the table because, you know, I'd be collecting it. All right. Let's jump into some Superman talk slash DC talk slash Brian Michael Bendis. We have one of the biggest Brian Michael Bendis fans on the show right now. Come on, Ryan. You know you are. I guess that's a fair statement. Who's your favorite writer? Bendis. Oh, hot damn. Welcome to the club. This is going to be good. Okay. I guess. Okay. Well, this, this conversation is starting because we're hearing rumors that Brian Michael Bendis is just straight up pulling out a Superman, right? He's just going to end it. He's done. He's tired of people complaining, right? That was a little bit of uh, semi-breaking news in the past couple of weeks that he's announced that he will be leaving the Superman and Action Comics titles. Yeah. If you take it out of context and you just uh, say, yeah, yeah. Read he's gonna, the headlines and don't yeah. listen to, you know, well, research. Based off of what I heard him say, it sounds like he's not ending it anytime soon. And it sounds like it's it's ending because of his own volition. Like he wants it to, there's going to be a time where he's going to pass the torch. He's not just like Robert Kirkmaning it and just running out the back door real quick. I don't think so. I hope not because I'm, I'm enjoying those runs. The reason why I'm bringing this up now is because Brian Michael Bennis has been over at DC for nearly two years now. And what he's doing over there is being critiqued to all hell. I'm seeing a ton of complaints about his time on Action Comics, a ton of complaints about his time at Superman. And, you know, people saying, eh, why would they come over here and change stories? And I, I want to discuss that. But in a larger sense, I want to talk about his entry to DC Comics and what this gentleman has done. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to break down there, if you ask me. Ryan, let's start this conversation off with Superman, his time at Action Comics. What's the complaints? Why are people upset? Because we're going to then move to a bigger conversation of what I think is what needs to be focused on, which is his success over at DC and what this gentleman is doing. So to kind of get to where people's opinions are coming in, to get where people are upset with the current run of Superman, you have to look at what was right before Brian Michael Bendis took over, which was the uh, Peter J. Tomasi run, where he had kind of built a family unit with 
Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and their son, John Kent, Jonathan. He's been hanging out with like Damian Wayne. You know, they're both like 10, 11 years old. Yeah, you remember kids. like those Super Sons and yeah. all that? You know, it was a it was a good time for Superman readers from, you know, I'm not a huge Superman guy, but what I do know is that I haven't wanted to read Superman for quite some time. Action Comics, sure. um, New 52, really in general, kind of ruined it for me. So seeing that he's become a family man, I think like many other Superman fans, they saw something new. They saw something that intrigued them. It wasn't just about him possibly losing his identity. It wasn't just about his like, you know, relationship stuff. No, no, he's got a family unit now. Right. And then when when uh, when Bendis came on, he had um, he had Jonathan Kent leave planet Earth with his grandfather Joel, like Superman's father. They both just left the galaxy and and went on like some a bunch of space adventures. And um, a few issues later, Jonathan Kent comes back, but he is seventeen years old. Okay, so all of a sudden, we have what was a story people were really pumped about that, I mean, and when I say really, it's like, the bar's pretty low, in my opinion. Like, Superman is, hey, you're getting people into Superman, and they really like it, that's cool, but I'm not talking like this was blowing the waters out, you know, like this wasn't breaking records or something. Sure, I consider myself a a fan of Superman, but I don't think uh, he's as popular as, like, Batman, obviously, there's different tiers there. But people were upset that uh, they thought that Brian Michael Bendis came in and just ruined this whole family dynamic that, that people were, were liking with uh, Lois and, and Clark and 11-year-old Jonathan Kent. Dude, they completely changed it. I mean, he went into the title and saw what was built and then did something completely different. We kind of have a different type of Lois Lane here. We have a, a, a slightly different Clark Kent, you know, even. And we have, as you mentioned, his son that we th- were watching grow up essentially skip his adolescence so that he can be brought back as an older teenager. That's actually a big part of, of the story is uh, you get in Superman's head and he's extremely frustrated that he has missed his own son growing up. He missed out on his kid's childhood. So he has a lot of rage bottled up against his own father. And uh, I think that that's a cool thing. I think that adds a lot, of, a lot of conflict, you know, generational family conflict to the story. And I liked having that sort of, Conflict in there. And I think also, if you think about it in the long term, uh, when Brian Michael Bendis came over to DC, he had this plan to reconstitute the Legion of Superheroes, and he wanted uh, Superboy, uh, Jonathan Kent, to play a big part in that. And I think that is a, you know, a part of the reason why he was aged up. Ooh. Okay, well, now we're getting into his ambitions beyond the title, and that's actually where we want to begin this conversation, right. really, because... He started out in the comic game a while ago, okay? Actually, I want to show this book up here. It's uh, Quivers Number 1. This is an independent book. It's a $5 book, and it's the first time Brian Michael Bendis ever wrote something for comics. And I don't know if you knew this, but he used to draw, too, and he drew the interiors in the cover of this book. Yeah, a lot of his early like crime comics and stuff, for example, he was, he was drawing. And then take a look at this. Batman Chronicles issue number 21. This is the first DC published work by Brian Michael Bendis. The reason why I want to show this comic, and both of these are cheap books, by the way, this would be the last time he would do work at DC for two decades. All right? Nearly, I think it's like nearly two decades. Sure. And that matters because what did he do in those two decades? In those two decades, he was kind of, uh, in, in my humble opinion, he was kind of setting the bar over at Marvel Comics for a lot of the things that we are currently enjoying today. Like changing comics forever? I would I would suggest so. The Disassembling the Avengers. Ultimate Universe. Right? Fantastic exactly. Four. Miles Morales. Jessica Jones. 
Do we need to say more? You could. There's there's a lot more you could say because he has had a, a massive effect on this whole uh, in this whole universe. Who else? The New Avengers, one of my favorite comic runs of all time. That's a big one. Secret yeah. Invasion, one of my favorite events of all time. My favorite era of Marvel Comics, I would say, is the 2000 to like 2010-ish. That's that right. This decade. is like when I was getting into reading heavily, you know? So yeah. it's important to note that because that's what he did at Marvel. He created the universe. He, he formed a lot of the characters that we love. And these IPs are going crazy now. So when DC got him, you know that this wasn't just a, hey, let's just bring him over here to uh, give, him, give him Superman. Let's let just him, have him do Superman. Yeah, let him write Superman. Maybe action comics. Let's give him a couple comic books. You don't just go and poach one of the biggest writers from your competition. You know? Put him in the corner to do one or two titles and let him you know, just wither away and die in the corner. Mind you, over this last three years, all we're hearing is about how much DC's struggling. How many titles that they're constantly cutting and how many times they're rebooting things. Can we do a new, a new crisis? Can we get more new readers? Do we have to do new number ones? Like, what, what variants do we need to sell at cover price and, you know, pay to order? Like, that's the kind of stuff that DC did. They brought Michael, Brian Michael Bendis back after two decades, not just to make one comic. No, they want him to do what we did at Marvel. Is, is grow a whole, a whole ecosystem of, like, interconnecting stories. So let's chat about these last two years. What has this gentleman done? Because he's started to do so much. I mean, he took two decades at Marvel to do this, and then he comes right. over to DC for two years, and it's crazy. Yeah, it started with Superman. He was on Superman. He was on Action Comics. And I think the two of those comics interplay very well with each other. You have more of the intergalactic combat, like all of Superman's rogue gallery and and just a bunch of crazy high concept stuff happening over in the Superman title. My favorite, though, is Action Comics, where it is more grounded. It's focusing on like Clark Kent as a reporter at the Daily Planet and all the things that are happening over there. Let's chat about Action Comics 1001. And a lot mm. of these covers that we're going to talk about... These ones are all super affordable. Um, some of them are spec, and we'll get into that. But many of them are cover price. But Action 1001 features a new villain. They're also Fire Guy recommended, if that means anything to anybody. Oh, yeah. You've read all of this like stuff. These, I've read I love most of these. Comics. So we have the first appearance of the Red Cloud. How dope of a character design was this? I really like her. Well, spoiler alert. You know, there's, when you start reading Action Comics, it's a mystery as to who this character is. But it gets revealed relatively quickly. That's right. Who she is. And uh, she is a red cloud, as the name implies. She is kind of like a, an amorphous, gaseous villain that uh, Superman has trouble fighting because you can't punch her. You can't hit her. You can't fight. So it's, it's, uh, it's a struggle. And she's part of the Invisible Mafia, which is like the arc of the first, the first arc of Action Comics. Ooh, why don't we get into that? Tell us about this first arc and some of the things as a Bendis fan that you're digging. That I'm also just a crime fan, so anytime the word mafia gets thrown in around, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Mobster movies, you're all over the country. I'm, I'm into it. So it's, it's, a, it's a group of criminals, a mafia, if you will, in Metropolis who are trying to figure out how to run a criminal enterprise in Superman's city where he can hear and see everything that's happening all the time. So they meet inside of like a lead tube underground. They don't say Superman or Kryptonite or Lois Lane or any of the, like the magical buzzwords that he's always listening for. And so they use this girl... Uh, the Red Cloud, and the whole the whole first arc is about Superman, Red Cloud, Invisible Mafia, all this all the weird stuff that's happening with the Daily Planet, and it's it's not what you think when you're you're getting into when you get into Superman comics. There's not a lot of laser vision happening or, or flying around and like punching stuff, which man, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of. Some of the things I don't like about Superman is just as you described. It's he's like overpowered. 
you kind of always know what's going to happen. You know that there's going to be someone you can't fight because of something simple like a rock or, or his identity is going to get, you know, exactly. uh, something's going to happen like that. But in this case, you have a new character, great character design, and you have a antagonist that actually can rival Superman in a way that's kind of believable. There's there's scenes where uh, super, or Superman and the Red Cloud are getting into it and and she uh, fight. They fight each other and he can't can't win so they just break off and she goes back to the invisible mafia and they're like hey i just fought superman and i'm alive still and so everyone's like oh good job like we're doing this we're figuring it out and it's like not that high of a bar to reach like i didn't die fighting superman or I, you know i didn't get arrested it, it's interesting stuff all right any any other things from superman any takeaways that you're you're kind of excited about i mean i want to hear more about this this time that has been sped up from jonathan kent right. i want to hear about um, Jor-El. It makes sense if you think about it. Like, you, oh, it makes sense. I mean, you, you like Stephen Hawking, right? You hear Absolutely. about black holes and time vortexes and stuff. So when uh, when Jonathan Kent goes into space, he like gets into a bunch of weird. He goes out, out of the galaxy, and so I'm not a physicist or a space expert by any means. But time gets a little wobbly out in the out in the greater universe. So for Clark or for for Jonathan Kent, like six years or so have passed, while on planet Earth, it's only been like three weeks. Right. So they are just barely kind of even missing their kid. He's, he's only been gone for a little while. But uh, Got some interstellar kind of stuff going on here. Ugh, trippy. He comes back and he's, he's old. He's almost a full-grown adult. So it's, it's, it's stressful. As a fan and as a character in the story, you're, you're confused. And you're uh, a, little, a little off guard. Another thing that people were complaining about is this whole identity reveal. Yeah, Superman reveals his identity to the world in issue 18 of Superman. But he's done this so many times. It's happened a lot. Like, a lot. More than I was aware of. But people are upset about it. It gets into something that I, I kind of... I, I, I don't know. Comic, comic fans, sometimes... I love you guys. Sometimes I get a little irritated because I think, as a comic reader, if there's something going on in the current run that you don't like, then, you know, you know eventually somebody else is going to take over the title. Eventually. And things will go, usually, back to normal. Like, I can't imagine the world will know... Clark Kent is Superman forever. That's literally one of the main tropes in Superman's like legacy as canon is that whatever the situation may be, it looks like it's going to be an end all. Oh my goodness. There's no way that he's going to come out of this one. There's some neat way that they figure it out. Whether they, you know, he, he, he fools people, he hypnotizes them, you know. I, I remember in Civil War when Spider-Man reveals his identity to the world and he's like, hey, I'm Peter Parker, I'm Spider-Man. And then, you know, like less than, I don't know, so it was a year, it was a few years later. It was pretty damn quick. Yeah, you had one more day and, and the whole stuff with Mephisto and it wasn't executed as well as it could have been, but everyone kind of got their minds, you know, reset and Whoop. nobody knew who Peter Parker was anymore. And it, was, it wasn't as clean as it possibly could have been, but things reset back to normal. And that's one of the, you know, the foundational things of comics. There's a status quo. Status quo, but you know what? If you got to retcon, if you got to change something, you also can utilize the fact that you're writing a comic book to make it happen. You just make it happen so that you get a clean slate and you can do what you want. That's part of the fun, seeing what a new writer does when they take over the title. When I enter a new title and there's a new writer, one of the first things I do is I kind of put a pause from like the rest of the stuff that I read and I kind of separate that. And I think, yeah, okay, that's, a, that's one writer, that's one team that did this work. Now, granted, there's going to be some things to connect. There's some, you know, canon. There's some consistencies that we want to see. But by the end of it all, I'm looking at this 
next run as its own thing. This is Brian Michael Bendis, and I'm willing to kind of let go a lot, as I do with a lot of comic books, to just listen to the story. It actually reminds me of back when Mr. Bendis was uh, at Marvel and he was writing Daredevil. His whole run on Daredevil ended up with Matt Murdock in jail. And then he passed it off, I believe, to Ed Brubaker was next. And he's like, here you go. You know, you got Daredevil in prison. Like, have fun. And then you have to watch Ed Brubaker kind of figure out what to do with the status quo that he was given. And that's kind of the fun of comics is seeing how each new writer adapts to things that were done before them. Sometimes you goldball it. Right. Uh-huh. Sometimes you, you, you got Jonathan Hickman and he's sourcing stuff and he's just making everybody happy because you know what? The run is so good. And yeah, it could seem absurd. Maybe the balls are eggs, right? Like, okay. Did, didn't sometimes Bendis it's cool. make gold balls. Oh, didn't right? he? I think he did actually. So I'm just patience, you know, it's okay. It's, 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 I'm not, I'm not too worried, man, because you know what? Bendis is doing a lot more than just Superman over there. And I want to get into that because let's talk about Naomi now. Because when we're talking about like characters on the scene, heck, he was on a late night show talking about Naomi. All right. He was like posting and and being so gracious and filled with so much gratitude to the community for bringing Naomi to the masses because the community loved it. The comic market was enthused by this new character coming on the scene issue number one hitting upwards of four to five hundred dollars at 9.8 within months uh, i don't want to say i called it because i was i'm a bendis fan so i was going to get naomi regardless you know I, I was looking at it like oh this is a comic about like a, a teenage girl and, and she's like figuring out something about like being adopted or whatever i was confused but i'm like i'll try it i'll get it's on like, it this is a superhero mag- uh, superhero comic but it's not there's like only a couple pages spread and it's like a you know like you're reading this and you're finding out that this is more of a mystery right. uh, and an origin story than anything else and naomi came on the scene so hot yeah but over like a year you know kind of waiting as her origin story was told the market adjusted the numbers moved really quick but now we're actually seeing kind of a resurgence a little bit because we can stand back now after two years and see what this gentleman is doing. He's creating a whole new world. He's creating new characters. And if we're going to look at these characters like for, for potential speculation long term, is there reason to buy variants? Is there reason to be specking on third prints? Things like that. Those type of questions that we all think about. Well, we got to go to the successes. So let's look at Naomi. Naomi number one. We saw a $60 sale for a near mint copy on the four, on the 15th of June. That's recent. Very recent. Would you even right. expect that at this point? There was a $20 book at one point this last yeah, year. Yeah, Naomi it started in January of 2019, so it's it's been quite a while. Absolutely. And that was just a six-issue miniseries, and then she was kind of off the radar for a while, but she did pop up in Action Comics for a little bit after that. Like, issue, uh, issue 1014 of Action Comics, she showed up, and, and Superman kind of helped her figure out, you know, get her... Get her you know, powers figured out and, and uh, kind of teach her some stuff. Absolutely. She eventually joined up with uh, Young Justice, which is another series that Mr. Bendis is writing over at DC. So I'm looking at a couple of possible comic books to, you know, be watching. I'm, I'm watching a handful of things and Naomi's one of them. All right. Like I mentioned, number one, let's take a look at the, the book you just mentioned, Action Comics 1014. This is the first crossover of Naomi into this title. And that's a big deal, especially since it's a $4 book right now. All right. Let's take a look at some of the other Naomi comic books that are on this list that are spec worthy. So in the uh, first issue of Naomi, you had the second print, which is which has like a red color scheme to it. It was going for uh, $40 and a 
40 bucks for a 9.8 is respectable. I mean, that would put this value of the second print around the 10 to $15 mark. And it's definitely not the one that a lot of people are grading. Yeah. I don't think people are looking at, at that one. They had the, uh, they had a, the, the B cover of Naomi number one with her in front of a locker at school with a bunch of Superman paraphernalia. That's right. That was a $25 issue. And who did that cover? It was Emmanuel Lupacino. Great book. And we're also seeing the third prints now. This is not being specced on in the market from what I can see. This is lower print than the others. However, it is black and white. And they're going for like five bucks now. That'd be kind of cool. I'm I the, think that's cool, man. I'm the kind of person who, if, some, if I like Naomi, I have to find all of those variants, all of those different printings of the first one. I don't think I have that black and white one, but I have all the other ones. Well, dude, back when Naomi was hitting, we were seeing issue two, issue three, issue four popping. And I'm talking like out the gate going for double cover price. Issue number two, we're still seeing high sales of 15 to $20. But here's the thing. As the rest of the issues progress, I mean, there was only this six issue miniseries. None of the rest of the issues are really selling for more than cover. But we have so many other appearances of Naomi that are noteworthy that I guess got to bring it up on the mic because I'm watching it. So, yeah, in number two, we had the partial origin. But in issue number five, we see the first time Naomi is featured in costume. This is a one to five dollar book. I remember at the time, too, when there was her costume and it had this uh, this logo on it. And at the time, it was like an unknown, mysterious logo, but it looked a lot like the White Lantern symbol. And there was a lot of spec at the time that maybe there was going to be some White Lantern stuff. And I remember Brightest Day just started to creep up on your list there for a while. And uh, it was the first time that I was kind of in the middle of of like the spec game. How'd you feel with that, man? Because like of all the characters to bring in to make her a possible Lantern, you must have gotten excited. I was, I was very excited. I was uh, I, I went back and, and started reading all my all my old uh, Jeff Johns Green Lantern stuff. That's me too. I love that. That's your favorite, man. Oh, yeah. Well, then, and then issue number six, we see a villain that is only really there for the first and possibly the last time, maybe a transitional type of character. But this Zumbado. Yeah, they're teasing a Naomi season two, like like this first six issue miniseries. There's uh, there's been some hints dropped that they're coming back to Naomi. And I think this Zumbado fellow is going to make more appearances further down the line in Naomi's standalone comic book. An antagonist that's being introduced to this run and a run that is being watched by so many, seeing the first villain kind of just pop up into number six and no one really care about. Again, we're talking about spec worthy things. And if Naomi is spec worthy, there's not that many comics that go along with her. You mentioned that Young Justice issue number 10 features her joining the team. Right. So this isn't the only thing that Bendis is doing. It's not just making new characters, making new villains, taking on the responsibility of Superman in action comics. We're talking now Legion of Superheroes. We are. What? You, how you, do you, <laughs> how, of all the, okay, here's the thing. Like, let's give props where props is due. That is the one title that as a, if I was well-versed, like if I was even more well-versed, like I'm talking an encyclopedia well-versed in DC comics, I would still, not want to touch that title. I would think long and hard before agreeing to write a book like that because there's like 30 heroes in, in Legion. Like, that's a lot. Just, you're not just signing on to write Superman, like one or two guys. That's it's a cast of characters in that book. From the future that yes. has a diehard reader fandom. Yes. Like, very more true. than many. I took the plunge on Legion when, when Bendis took over. Oh, jeez. And you, and you made it out alive? I made it out alive. Okay, that's good. It's, it's a lot there. And I went in totally cold. I've never read a Legion comic book before. Dude, in preparation for 
Brian Michael Bendis taking on this title. I looked up Legion of Superheroes. I took on the Great Darkness Saga, which is said to be one of the best stories of Legion of Superheroes. And it's one of those situations where every page, I was like, I have no freaking clue what's going on. There's a lot there. It's heavy. There's like every other character's talking. I don't know who anyone is. They're referencing stuff I don't know. There's relationship dynamics that seem important that I don't understand. And to think that he came on the scene and was like, oh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take on Superman. We're going to create all these new characters. And Legion of Superheroes is where it's at. Man, that takes a lot of courage. I imagine they kind of went to him. I don't, I don't know how this went down, obviously, but I imagine they went up to him and said, like, what would you like to work on? And right. he goes, Legion, let's bring that comic back. And and he did. And he's doing really good at it. I mean, it's it's a cool read. I just need a lot more uh, tutorial level stuff. I need like a Legion 101, like a primer. Well, there was a character throughout this process that has come out and that has kind of caused a stir, getting people excited about another lantern. Dude, he's getting people into lantern stuff, dude. I'm McDaniel, Brian Michael Bendis and lantern stuff. Like, Ooh, that's good, good to a, me, man. I'm a happy camper. Over okay, here. so now we're talking about the gold lantern. And this is a conversation that's going to get fun with the community because we got to bring up the benchmark again. Do you remember uh, the benchmark conversation, my brother? Oh, goodness. Are we talking like cameos? Are we talking full appearances? And, and, and first, uh, I love this. Okay, so we have cameo, first appearance benchmark. It's Logan, Hulk 180, Hulk 181. Chalen, throw that on the screen again for me. I can't you get make away sure. from this. I can't get away from it this. It doesn't one. end. No. It doesn't end. And I'm not going to, dude, I won't. I won't let it end because <sighs> we need to cement this. We need to make this known. Everyone needs to follow suit, man, because it's not changing. That's the benchmark, whether you like it or not. And some members of the community kind of get a little heated about this cameo talk. Like, we don't even need it. Well, let's get into why you need the cameo talk, okay? Because we're talking about the Gold Lantern. And this guy has seven cameos. So he's had seven cameos. And right now, in like issue six, is when you're getting like some, some full appearance action from the Gold Lantern. So this would be equivalent to the 181 appearance, right? We have Legion of Superheroes, issue number six, cover A. And you have a page spread that introduces him as the gold lantern. You see both of the power rings. Like this is a debut in full of this character. And the market responded to this comic as such. This book out the gate went for more than double cover price. Ooh. All right. But let's go back because there's seven other appearances that we need to talk about because this character made its waves, man. When we have one character of many, Bendis, we talked about a bunch of them that he created. But when you have one that makes its its impact on the market and the way it has, we need to look at everything. And I want to bring it back to Superman issue number 14. And I'll remind you that Superman issue 14 was a recalled comic from last year. Rumors that this book had color mistakes on the inside, possibly just the wrong trade dress. Who knows? But because it was recalled and because we see a cameo appearance, the first cameo appearance of the Gold Lantern, ooh, it's like both power. Perfect rings, storm, man. Let's do it, man. So in issue 14, you had the Legion as a group coming to the present day from the year 3000 something and recruiting Jonathan Kent to join the Legion. And they show up as a group. And if you look closely, Gold Lantern's kind of just chilling in the back, the back of the, you know, the big spread of, you know, 30 teenagers. He's there. It's hard to see, but he's there. And throughout a lot of these upcoming cameo appearances, that's kind of how you'll see him. 
yes. kind of hovering in the back of a lot of group shots of the Legion. But we're not just talking about one little picture here and there, because that is here. We're going to get into that. But we're, we're talking cover appearances. We're talking word bubbles in one of these comics. So yep. let's keep it going. Supergirl, issue number 33, the second appearance in Cameo. Can you spot him, comic fan? It's like, where's Waldo? Where's the gold lantern? It kind of is. All right. Now let's take a look at Superman 15, a third appearance in Cameo. He's there. It's a lot of these group shots, though. The introduction of this new team across multiple titles. And if you're somebody like me who doesn't know who any of these people are in the first place, it's kind of hard to pinpoint the one guy in the back of this giant group of people and go, oh, that, that guy's new. Yeah, we're giving our They're editor. All new to me. Let's give our editors some challenges and make them hunt for these. Yeah. You know, this Where's Waldo level situations with a circle to help the comic fam out. Because now we're actually going to get into some some variants and some kind of random issues here. We have Legion of Superheroes Millennium cover B. All right. Issue number one, cover B. Gold Lantern is not in this book. He's not in the interior. He's not even on cover A, but he's on cover B. This marks his first appearance on a cover. So the... Uh the Legion of Superheroes Millennium was like a, a little two-issue prologue before the Legion comic book run started. And it doesn't really deal with the group itself. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's a prologue. So he's not on the inside. He's not on the, the A cover because he's not on the inside. But he's on the variant, on the variant, the B cover. It has a, a group shot of everybody. And again, he's just in there, part of the group. Next on the list is Legion of Superheroes issue number one, the local comic shop day edition. If you look on the inside of issue number one, you do indeed have a cameo with a speech bubble. He talks. He speaks, man. Speaks. All right, so now we're in like that Hulk 180 territory, but it's not a full appearance yet, comic fam. That's not until a little bit later because we have Legion of Superheroes 3 to talk about his sixth cameo appearance because the one on the cover doesn't count because it's not on the inside. But if you're talking, if we're counting covers too, seventh. So he's... In six interiors, but if you're including the covers, then you can make it a seven. There's there's seven. That's seven cameos. Seven gold lanterns. That's right. If he's on the cover to me, that's going to be interesting enough to look at as an appearance of this character. He's making an appearance on the cover. Seven cameos. Seven cameos. And then we end right where we started this list, which is Legion of Superheroes number six with the full reveal. Eight different times that the Gold Lancer has been featured in such a short amount of time. And a great example of why well, these terms matter. I'm just glad some lanterns are getting some love. That's yeah. all That's all I need. I'm Dude, happy. Tell me, as a, as a Brian Michael Bendis fan, I want to know what are your thoughts going forward? What are you keeping an eye out for? What are you reading? What do you think has legs in this community? And he's doing some independent work at DC too. Yeah, he's got some creator-owned stuff. Um, when, he, when he came over to DC, he, he had four Jinx World comics. It's like a separate like, sub-print that he's got there. Uh, with like books like Scarlet and Cover, uh, Pearl. Yeah, you really like those ones. Yes, I'm a big fan of like all of those, honestly. And uh, I think I think Scarlet was one of my favorite comics of of the year in 2018 when that came out. And um, they're talking about I think Pearl was optioned. They're talking about making new new uh, new cover issues with uh, Bendis and uh, my favorite artist David Mack. Ooh. So I, I you know I got my eye on all that stuff. I think uh, it's important for these creators when they take on this kind of work to also have the opportunity beyond the main publishing company to do some like independent work, right? kind of own their IP and, and have some potential for bigger things. It feels like that's where they go to kind of spread their, their wings and do, and do more creative, more of their own stuff where they don't have to like 
color in between the lines so much. Comic fam, what do you think about Brian Michael Bendis over at DC? What do you think about this universe that he's expanding? We're watching it. We're excited about it. We're pumped to see new characters, new villains. And I want to hear your thoughts in the comments section below. I would like to know, actually, as a Bendis person myself, if he is, he is leaving Superman in the near future is what he said. We don't know exactly when. Could be months, you know. Right? Yeah, it sounds like on his own terms. But what would what, what do you want to see him do after that? Like, I... Me, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Bendis take over Green Lantern personally. Oh, who would have thought Green Lantern? Exactly. You know, maybe he could bring the Gold Lantern in there for a few more cover appearances, and I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to see what people think would be a cool uh, follow-up character for Bendis to tackle after he's done with Superman, which is kind of like the character at DC. Let us know in the comment section below. I don't you win a giveaway that we're going to announce at the end of the video, so stay tuned. We're also going to be continuing this conversation as we always do every week on our audio-only platforms. The cameras shut off, but the mics, they keep going. And we're talking about some fun stuff. We're talking about Eric Larson. We're talking about the pandemic. We haven't really discussed much about that yet, but I want to hear what you've been experiencing. I'm going to chat with you. And Eric Larson's going to join that conversation too. Not on the mic, but he has some things to say about this pandemic, this pandemic situation. And I am pretty excited to share that on the mic. All right, let's move on to your comments, comic fam. We have a bunch of them. Ryan, you haven't been on the show in a minute. It's been a while. And dude, we got some really good ones. So let's, let's jump into what the community has to say. I haven't been on the channel, but I have been lurking in the comments quite a bit. So that, that's always fun. I'm a big fan of hanging out in the comments on the videos, and I think you guys should too. I think a lot of you are, which is nice. It's nice to chat with you guys in there. All right, the first comment from the comic fam is from Slash Almighty, who says, the fact that he recreates drawings from his childhood is amazing. I just pick what he imagined it must have looked like at 14, and then what he actually drew. Then going back years in the future with the technology and ability to bring it to life, I want that original. Alex Ross work those drawings that you know he still has in his office oh yeah this is from our highlight of the Marvelosity Alex Ross biography it's just a bunch of really cool Marvel work that Alex Ross sent the show and gave to us everybody except Jeff that's right actually it's funny because he he actually sent Jeff a copy after seeing the video and seeing his reaction to how much he wanted the damn book. It's a nice but, book. I, I was kind of guilty that I got one and Jeff didn't, but I definitely, I took it. I didn't give it to Jeff. Oh man. Well, Jeff's got his and I can't agree with you more, man. Like Slash Almighty is talking about something that you, if you follow Alex Ross, you would see pictures of when he was a kid. He likes to repost this because I mean, heck, look at this Hulk. Look at this Spider-Man. Look at this Superman. All of these things are not just like a fun little fact, a little, a little, you know, little information for you to take. It's good motivation. It's like that's keep up with your with your skills, and this is what you can kind of see. You can see how they develop over time. Yeah, it's like his way of inspiring the community. Stick with it. Practice. You will get better. Right. All right. Next person on this list, we have who? J L G Spaz thirteen says, uh, "Just being real, but." At first, I couldn't stand Ryan. <laughs> I'm having to read this one for real. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> and now, I love you, man. The group of guys on the show is so dope and well-balanced that it's nuts, and I'm hooked. It's yeah. nice having you guys help feed my comic addiction. Keep up the good work, everyone. You see, sometimes people on the show are a little bit of an acquired taste. Right? Like Russ? 
Yeah, or the guru. So acquired. It took a lot of these members <laughs> at least like 300 videos to subscribe to me. Yeah. So we're all a little bit of an acquired case. But I appreciate you coming around, seeing the, the value that Ryan brings to this table. I bring value. He really does. We appreciate you. Thanks for the comment. And I'm glad that you're a member of the community, my brother. Oh, and then we also have Snoop Anoop who says... Ryan should get an epic avatar with a badass beard. Keep up the beard game, man. Uh, you dude, I keep telling you, uh, you gotta keep it. I kept, I put this one on here, man, because I, I, I like Ryan with a big beard. I and like, you had it. What happened? I dude? liked it too. A little thing called coronavirus happened, and and we had to wear masks. You know, oh, and oh, is, is that why? Is is like you don't know because you can't grow facial hair, Tom. But that's true. That's true. Beards and masks. Like when I, I I put the mask on, and it looked like somebody put, dude, it was like a bandaid on top of a shrub. It would look, it looked awful. It was like sitting on there. And just beard out on the sides, and I don't think it was doing anything. It was it was bad. Oh my goodness! It was really bad, sweaty, and gross. And well, it was just like. But hey, hey, you're here now. I'm here. All right. Are we gonna get this beard to grow a little I, bit? Did you notice I didn't shave like you, baby face? I trimmed it down. I still have a beard. This is like what I consider default Ryan. You hear this fighting words, comic fam? What do, do you, you know, think? You do. I, I, I'm gonna take myself out of it. Listen to the comic fam. Last, what do you think? Last time I shaved it all the way off. I go. I went out and bre got breakfast with you and with Aaron. And Aaron gave me all kinds of crap and said, don't ever shave your beard again. You need the beard. The beard makes you look fantastic. Yeah, that's what she said. You know, Fantastico. I'm, I'm, I get lots of compliments because I'm a pretty cool dude. Oh, my goodness. Ryan's got to keep his beard. <laughs> Comic fam, I need your help. Let's keep Ryan it'll, motivated. It'll to, come back. It'll after grow faster if the community motivates you. Shame you helps it. it grow faster. Push it, man. You got to push it out. <laughs> and it'll grow faster. Okay, this next comment is from Star. Tiger. All right. And he says this. There are at least three different covers by Alex Ross featuring Red Sonia. All right. I mentioned that I couldn't think of any. But then as soon as I read this, and I appreciate you in the comment section and keeping me in check, there are a bunch. And I'm just going to show a bunch of them on screen. Alex Ross does a fantastic Red Sonia, my man. Yes, he does. Look at all these images that are in front of us right now. Dude, I'm looking at this issue number 30 and I'm adding it to my poll, dude. I got to go and get this book. Oh, dude, we got to change that. Dude, Red Song is dope. All right, moving on to Dr. Don. He says, in response to us packing up and you helping me pack up the comic books to be shipped to this certified guarantee company that in was Florida. forever ago. Well, those books came back, man. Uh -oh. So start sweating because I have grades to tell you about. Uh -oh. This is what Dr. Don says. Very cool. I have been waiting for a streamlined process for this. Now, simple form completion. Then it's perfect. Boom. He is motivated to ship comics to the CGC courtesy of you, man, by putting out the effort, showcasing Me? it. Yeah, dude, because huh. you did it. But here we go, Ryan. How do you think you did? Poorly. You think you did poorly? I you think you screwed some nine eights and made them nine sixes? Uh, no, six nines. Six eights. Six sixes. Okay. Well, here, I'm here to report today, Ryan, you did a good job. Every single one of those books came back 9.8. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's and they're actually right over here. Oh. Yep. Yeah, those are the ones. That's okay. So everybody, round of applause for Ryan. Thank you so much for taking good care of the comics for me. They're in my PC, man. I'm pretty stoked about it. I take as good a care of comics as I do of your statues. So you're welcome. There you go. All right. Um, now we are going to talk about Peach Momoko. Who? You know, you are you not familiar? You've been oh. gone for a minute. Yeah, I think you might have to jog my memory. Who's who? Actually, no. I think you're you you know exactly who I'm talking about. What is your your thoughts about Peach as a new artist in the scene? 
fire, right? I am the fire guy, so I guess I have to say fire once in a while. So many covers, so many variants, so many stores working with Pete, so much good content coming out from this artist. And we actually did a top 10 list, a little highlight of some art that she did, preliminaries, and you should go check it out. I'll put the link above here. And she liked it. She really liked the podcast. She was digging it. And we've been working together a little bit. We're, we're planning covers and things like that. And the response that she had was super surprising. She's right? watching this right now. She could be. Shout out, Peach. Ooh. I'm all nervous. Everybody say hi to Peach by hitting the like button because the response that she gave to the podcast, aside from, you know, digging it, was that she wishes she knew that we were going to be talking about tattoos the whole show. Oh, yeah. That was kind of like the theme of you and Jeff's show. Yeah, you know, I chat about some ink that I've gotten, some mistakes that I've gotten. And she responded with like, I wish I would have known because I love tattoos. So that was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, hold up, hold up. Why do you like tattoos? I got to know. And she would tell me that she actually was trained in art by a tattoo artist. Peach was actually actively preparing for work in the tattoo industry before she was embraced by the comic collector industry, by the community. We poached Peach. We poached Peach. How exciting. She would actually then go on to send me images of artwork that she did, presumably for tattoo designs for people, uh, practicing, getting ready to start taking on the responsibility of doing some, you know, needle to skin work. I could never even imagine. Like, of course, I would definitely rather do paper. You know, you mess up a piece of paper and you just erase it or throw it away and restart. But you mess up someone's skin and they got to, you know, do a bunch of things with lasers and stuff like Tom here and, and get your, your R's switched around and your, your, your Batman face is fixed and you got to, oh, no. This is what she said. Before I became a tattooist, I got introduced to many comic conventions and soon publishers. So before my age deadline, I was busy in the comic book world. So like before she was of age, able to start tattooing, she was already getting her feet wet doing covers and such. Then I couldn't become a tattoo artist. So now, since I only am trained in pencil doing tattoo designs and not a needle, whatever I have a chance, I tattoo my drawings with a pencil. Ha <laughs> ha. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's much safer. Pencils over needles. Like, mm-mm. Just saying needles makes me all, sh all shivery. Now she does tattoos with pencils. I love it. All right. Now I want to get into something that a lot of people don't know and that this isn't just a variant cover artist. Okay. She actually was featured in print prior to doing covers for comic books. And this actually started back in 2017 with Heavy Metal Magazine. Specifically, the one that I'm sitting right in front of, issue number 288. A lot of you are actually going to be familiar with the Frazetta homage on cover A, but there's actually a couple other variants. And I actually picked the cover C as my favorite. And in this book, we have a story by Peach Momoko, making it her first published comic work on the inside and i had you read it ryan and because i couldn't find it on the internet we're gonna go through that today with the comic book fam we're blazing a trail here we absolutely are so this is actually titled shaman himiko okay it's this one that's right why don't we tell the community a little bit about this comic book it's a short one it is uh two pages front and back like like one page front and back yeah real real quick uh and it's about this like it's like a fortune teller kind of lady, but mm -hmm. she's a little, little more sinister than that because uh, this guy comes in and he's basically complaining and whining like, oh man, poor me, my life sucks because of this, this, and this. And the, the shaman 
she's like, oh, that sucks. You, you, you're whining and complaining. And you think you're a victim. Well, I'm going to make you a victim. Yeah, she sees something in him that she doesn't like. And she would then proceed to devour him yeah, it's on kinda, the last page. It's kind of graphic and, and a little scary. When I read this, I was surprised to see how dark this was. And then I was reminded in our conversations about the other covers that we discussed last week that she said her signature horror vibe is what she would lean on. She would say that some of her favorite work is incorporating horror into the art. But all we're seeing is like Marvel covers. We're seeing pinup covers. We're seeing, you know, Silver Surfer, black covers. Like, like I know these images, right? We're seeing the color work. We're seeing the beauty in the, in the watercolors. But then reading this comic book, oh my gosh. It's dark. It's dark. She is a horror artist. And you see that in these pages. Actually reminded me a lot of uh, Uzumaki, you know, Junji Ito, like manga stuff, like horror manga. Like there's it, it, some freaky body horror stuff going on in, in these two pages. All right. Now the next story we're going to talk about is in Heavy Metal Magazine issue number 290. There are multiple variants to this issue, so I picked my favorite one. And on the inside, we have the second comic book that Peach has produced, the second published comic work, rather. And it's only a short four pages, front and back, two pages. Like this girl is standing on the outside of a, of a railing, it looks like. She's about to uh, jump. She's about to commit suicide. She's yeah. thinking, you know, uh, the, the surrounding sky is actually memories of what appears to be just difficult times in this young lady's life. Looks like people just laughing at her and bullying her, getting all sad in the shower and nothing fun. So she jumps and ugh. right. Yeah, it is graphic. This is an all ages show, is it not? <laughs> I don't know if we can show this one. Hey, we showed Playboy earlier. We did. So, yeah, sort of. Put... What are you looking at? I'm looking at a uh, gruesome image of a, of a person who has hit the ground really hard and is now uh, a mess, a, a bloody mess of a, of a shell of a person. Eyeballs protruding out of the scalp. And brains and, and, and guts and blood everywhere. It's not, it's not a happy image. This is... It's beautiful. In a weird, creepy way, but it's not a happy image. She's a horror artist, man. It is so dark. But what do we ne- what do we see next? These like little bunny and puppy angel spirit things kind of like fly down to her and re reconstitute her as like a like a winged angel. Yeah, she she wants to transform. She wants to fly away from her problems. She wants to get away from it, right? So she right. commits the 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 final act. And, and, and kills herself. That makes sense. To I mean, be reborn. Yeah. When people say they want to fly as like the superpower that they get, and usually it's like psychologically, idea. that's because they want to like get away from people and like avoid things. And that makes sense. So she uh, gets these wings and flies off into the sky. Seemingly happy ending, right? Right. And then a couple panels later, this like kitty cat jumps up and you see a bunch of feathers and you turn the page and the cat just has her little angel corpse in his mouth. And he's just staring at the camera like, yo, I got a snack now. And this girl's dead again. The cat consumes her. Let's hear what Peach has to say about this work of art. She says, Toko was inspired by some Japanese 70s and 80s folk music about a girl wanting to become a bird. So for me, wanting to be a bird, you know, equals wanting to fly away from society. You know, girls being bullied, you know, wanting to get away from her problems. And being a bird doesn't always mean you can fly away from reality. That birds also have its own enemies and problems in life. Makes sense. Right? 
uh, animals fight birds and eat birds all the time, like hunters, you know? How deep is that, man? <sighs> That's cool. It's cool that she was able to convey all that all silently in just a few pages, just a few panels. They're all, there's a lot of big panels in there, too, so there's, there's not much to work with. Comic Fam, issue number 299 for Heavy Metal Magazine is delayed but coming out. And this is actually going to feature the third published story by Peach Momoko. I cannot wait till she gets her own title, till she starts releasing her own independent comics and we see the horror mastermind behind these pens, behind these watercolors, come out and really show what she can do. I'm interested to see that kind of storytelling uh, expanded and given, given room to breathe in like a, a full-size comic, not just a few pages. Absolutely. Thanks, Peach. You're awesome. We're big fans out here. Comic fam, we only have another month for you to join the mystery mail call. However, we did sell out last month. So it's better for you to get your box reserved now before you miss out on your chance of getting the John Tyler Christopher propaganda variant, the Comic Tom 101 exclusive, only available in the mystery mail call. We do have a giveaway today. If you liked the Alex Ross Immortal Hulk issue number seven, well, courtesy of the comic fam, we have some karma that was sent into the show. We have Immortal Hulk issue number two, the fifth print virgin variant graded at 9.8, going out to one lucky member of the community. Comment down below. Let us know what you think about this video. What are you reading right now? What was the last comic book you picked up? Say something. Hit the like button, and I'll enter you to win this gift. And as always, don't forget to keep responsibly every week. Enough said. After show. Oh, it feels good, Ryan. You're back. The lights are heating me up, making me sweat. It's hot in here. Dude, imagine what it's going to be like in the summer, but we can't complain because you know what happens in the summer? The flu season goes down. Hopefully social distancing will maintain so we can come out of this crazy time that we're living. But we're talking about that here today because of one creator, one of my all-time favorite creators in this community. Eric Larson. Eric Larson, famous for a lot of things. But one in particular is an incredibly long-lasting and fan-favorite independent title that you can find at Image Comics. And we're talking about Savage Freaking Dragon. Yes, we are. We're talking about Savage Dragon. So let me um, read you first what Eric Larson has to say. Because over this last week, we actually saw comics hit the shelves and an issue of Savage Dragon was released. Savage Dragon issue number 249. And this is notable. This is actually making press. Issue number 249 marks the first time a superhero comic book takes on the title directly about what we are dealing with here in our reality in a pandemic. COVID-19 is being addressed directly. It's something I've been thinking about is how shows, comics, stories are going to address this. Because this is something that we're all really still living with. We're still experiencing it. And we've seen not a, not a lot of, like everything's shut down, right? Like the Batman production, like they're on hold. Like the Witcher, they're on hold. Nobody's filming anything. Nobody's doing anything. Everyone's kind of hunkered down. They're starting to kind of sort of... Restart filming some things. And well, writing we saw some a trailer things. for uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and it's like coming in sometime in 2020. Yeah, like they're not even saying a target date at this point. And yeah, they pushed back Black Widow again, you know, and and and, and stuff's just getting postponed still. So it, it's it's understandable that we would not have any kind of storytelling or art that directly addresses 
you know, the, the, the COVID, the coronavirus pandemic and this thing we're kind of all living through right now. But yeah. it was only a matter of time before something talked about it. Well, and what's fascinating is that Eric Larson had 249 on deck. Like he, this is all stuff that was actively being made before production halted. And he actually has some things to, to say about it. And, and we'll get into what actually happened in the comic book in a second. But let me read you this because I thought this was a, I don't know, this is some insight and some thoughts behind a creator that is also experiencing what we're experiencing. And I don't know, I thought it important to talk about today before we get into kind of just our experiences, right? He says this. As I write this, the world is in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. The book, being what the book is, a title taking place in real time in a fictionalized version of our real world, needed to address this crisis, and I thought it best to do that as soon as I could. Again, as I write this, Savage Dragon number 248 is sitting on a loading dock and comic book stores across the country are closed. Our printer isn't printing. Our distributor isn't distributing. We're all sheltered in our homes, and things are very, very different than they were just a few short months ago. There's real concern that there won't be a comic book market when the dust settles and that stores won't be able to weather the storm. But if you're reading this, something's happened. So maybe we made it through the worst of it. And life goes on for those of us who managed to hang in there. I can't begin to imagine what the world looks like at the time you are reading this. But I certainly hope you're doing well and that I can continue to do what I have been doing for the better part of my life. Deep. Yeah, somebody had to say something. And it's kind of cool that he you know, made a little statement like that. Absolutely. And heck, did he make even a bigger statement through his art? So what we're going to read here is... In Canada, these superheroes who are defending themselves from a group of villains, all right, having some choice words to say about having to go out in public when social distancing is in effect to fight crime. What do we have here? We have a, a character that is having to scream at the villains that she is taking down. Yeah, it looks like she's just busting up a, some kind of crime event that is happening, like a gathering of criminals. And she's jumping in and saying, so I guess we're all just giving up on social distancing. I noticed the only ones out are a bunch of dumb Americans really playing to the stereotype here. Oh, my goodness, Eric. You are just saying how you feel. I yeah. love it. So just in deep denial about COVID-19, is that where you guys are at? Not a big deal? Just an FII, we are taking it pretty seriously up here in Canada, sheltering at home and all that. It's like... This is a character in another country that's dealing with with COVID. And, you know, it even says in here because they're in Canada that they have a two meter rule. Right. right. Instead Metric of a system and all that. Exactly. Instead of the six feet rule. But same distance ap apart. But this is Eric's way of communicating his frustrations. And and honestly, probably a little bit of what we can relate to being that he's going on record saying how difficult it is to kind of just live this way. You know what I mean? Especially for an artist who probably spends the majority of his time indoors writing. Yeah. He's feeling pretty relatable. Yeah. I mean, there's certain careers are, are getting uh, hit harder than others. And people like Eric Larson and other comic creators, I imagine, are sitting at home writing, drawing, creating comics. So if they're forced to stay home, for example, and not talk to people, not go out and do things, they're routine largely probably remains the same just they can't publish their books and, and shops are closed and people can't buy their books and like things aren't getting produced so it's still really stressful what a scary profession to be in when there is no hope of getting your stuff published in print yeah 
I can't imagine that. Like month over month. And also considering the industry suffering throughout that time and, and the concerns, the stressors that come with having to also continue a narrative in story, a complex one, a, a one that's 200 issues in. I mean, it's pretty important to, to do it right. And clearly the time has affected this creator and it's showing in his artwork. I imagine a lot of people are going to try and not talk about the current situation and um, other writers are probably going to write stories that aren't, you know, addressing viruses or apocalypses or, you know, dark, heavy things. They're going to want to kind of give people an escape, like a different mm -hmm. kind of outlet. And here Eric Larson is, it's just COVID-19, COVID-19, social distancing and just all this stuff in the panels. It's, it's interesting to see somebody tackle it directly. It's nice to know that no matter what, that he is going to continue, in quote, doing what he's been doing for the better part of his life. That's serious, man. He takes this seriously, and I, and I do appreciate him. At the very least, being honest. Yep. Right? So this whole pandemic, man, it was an eye-opener. I, I told this to Jeff last week, and I'll tell it the same to you. One of the things that I found myself thinking a bunch in this garage by myself, figuring out webcasts, trying to film stuff by myself, calling Nick up last minute saying, dude, join me on this top 10, dude. I don't, I just not feeling this by myself. The content that we make so much revolves around us riffing off each other, improving, showcasing comics and seeing it in person. And I don't, I missed you guys. I yeah. missed you guys being here. The content was different and it was, it's really difficult to produce. I enjoyed it. I mean, I was watching you and Nick doing top tens and you guys have a good, a good banter back and forth. I like, Nick. I like Nick. Shout out Nick. Dude, Nick brought the freaking heat comic fam. This guy is dedicated and he's not letting anything bring him down. Sick, tired, busy, didn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's going to be at this table virtually and help get this video done with me because he cares about this community and this channel. And he didn't have to do that. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the a lot of the difficulties with me living out here in the country where I live and having like difficulty to access just like basic commodities like we actually saw it early we saw the stores get hit hard really quick it because we were, first because it hit yeah. us first we, we were the first hot spot like 20 minutes down the road man yep so it's really weird it was a very like eye-opening experience for us because as we are seeing all this others in the community are starting to see like what people are doing out of their state like oh in washington there's no toilet paper what? And I'm like, yeah, legit. Imagine not being able to buy toilet paper and then going on Amazon and it's like $40. It's weird. It was a weird experience. It's just empty shelves in the store, which is something I didn't think I would ever see in my life. Dude, you need some antibacterial spray? Yeah, good luck for two months. You need some like hand soap because that's something that you just run out of in, in your normal life. And sometimes you got to go to the grocery store and restock on soap like a normal person. And then, oh, wait, there's a pandemic. There's no soap. You know, <laughs> what do you do? It's crazy, man. And you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, j j laughing about, you know, the kind of these inconveniences and stuff. But the bottom line is, is that people are getting sick. Yeah. And there's like 20 to 30,000 deaths that happen every month from this. And it's very scary. And the concern for me personally hasn't been like, oh, like, what if I get sick? Like, obviously, that's a worry for everybody. Right. But I'm worried about getting sick and then like getting other people sick, getting people in my community sick. The scary part is you can get you can have it and you can spread it without ever knowing that you have anything wrong with you at all. You can think I'm fine. I'm going to not wear my mask. I'm going to go out to the store. I'm going to you know buy my stuff and you know get out of my way, people. And you bump into people and you've just communi you know, communicated, passed on this virus. 
without even knowing it, and then they end up getting sick. You know, that's a, that's a lot on your conscience, and that's that's a big part of the you know the thought process for me anyway. When it's like you should stay home, it's like okay, it sucks to not go out. It sucks to not be able to hang out with your friends or do things that you're used to doing. But you're you're protecting others, which uh, isn't something that you usually get to do. It's not every day that staying home is like a noble thing to do. So uh, I'm down. I like staying home by myself anyway, too. So it it was was kind of nice. Was there anything that was, you know, a little bit getting old, though, at at some point? Something started to miss more than others besides like basic human interaction and stuff? Well, for me, I work at a hotel overnight and the hotel, the travel industry is dead right now. But, um, yeah, what's that like working at a, at a hotel? I imagine you're, you're housing maybe visitors and I mean, like who's traveling right now? Our hotel, especially in this in downtown Seattle is right across from the baseball stadium and there are no sports right now. There's no sports. There's no city events going on. So nothing's happening. Uh, there's like 10 people staying there any given night. But um, I work overnight. So uh, my job is suddenly a little more hard to fill and I'm a little bit more essential than I used to be. So I was only out of work for five days. Oh, wow. So you're just working the whole time. I've, yeah, I was out for five days around you know, St. Patrick's Day, like mid-March when it was kind of at the peak here. And uh, so even during that five days, like I, I played and I beat all of Bioshock Infinite from like 2012. And, you know, I was, I was sitting at home like, okay, this is kind of fun, but, you know, I'm getting a little, little stir crazy. Stir crazy, and then more so the financial uncertainty. Like you know, well, money—that's a thing. Like, what do we what do we do without money? You know, right? My brother, my roommate slash brother, <laughs> got unemployment, so he was he was kind of you know helping out there, and we were we were making it work. And you know, it just it makes you think. You know, the two of us we're 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 okay. We got we got by. Other people aren't. You know, the it's a scary it's a scary weird time. And I was I was back to work, and things are relatively normal for me in, in terms of like working four or five days a week. Did you like have those double takes over this last few months like I did where you kind of got like a little sniffle, maybe you coughed a little bit oh, and dear. you're like, oh, oh, oh no, I got this the, I got it, man. This is it. This is it. This is it. This is, it. This is what they're talking about. Like I, it, I just coughed. Uh, what's going on? And then it was a false alarm. Every sneeze, you know, every time you have to cough. Right? I, I guess I'm a hypochondriac. I didn't think I was, but it's like, oh God, I, I got it. I'm dying. Comic fam, I want to know what your experiences has been like during this hard time. Uh, I find that, you know, being able to communicate honestly about our experiences, it, I don't know, for me, it kind of helps me cope, dude. It helps me, you know, kind of come out of this rut, man, because I'll be real, dude. I got kind of sad over this last couple months, man. Like not being able, able to be around my family, my homies and doing this channel for like, you know, two years of videos, a consistent crew that I've just, grown to 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 depend on to a degree to to bring the creative it just wasn't there out of fear of you guys getting sick like the last thing i would want is to put you guys in a position where you came here and then something bad happened you know that's like worst case scenario so we're playing it right now hopefully by the time that this comes out on youtube three months from now we're pulling an eric larson here and they're telling you that you know hopefully by the time that you're listening to this that hey something's happened and, you know, maybe we've made it through the worst of it. And for those of who have managed to get this far, you know, we've, we hung in there, as you said. I'm just really grateful that uh, th- things could have been massively, astronomically worse. And they have been for a lot of people in this country and in the world. So I'm, 
I consider myself extremely fortunate and lucky that I have not re- like I've been financially impacted. Like I'm, I'm watching what I frivolously buy. Everyone, man, a lot you more. You got to right now. Yeah, I've matured a little bit in that way. I'm not just like throwing money away on comic books, for example. Like I, you know, I would just randomly buy stuff. I'm thinking twice before doing things like that now. You're like, I'll just get cover A on the variant, maybe next week. Sure. And when you think about the things that could have happened to me and impacted me and the people I love, then, you know, I, I'm lucky. I, I didn't have anybody I know so far catch this thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. This is definitely a moment in history that we're going to be looking back on for ever. Like this whole, this whole thing. Is, Com- yeah. Completely agree with you, man. Completely agree. Comic fam, I appreciate you being with us for kind of sticking through these like last few months with us where we've kind of just been trying to scrape by. And you know what? I got to say, I value this community so much because this last three months, it, it was made, it was difficult, but it was made a lot easier, you know, having the, the goal of being here for this community and, and really all the people that support what we do. And yeah, it, it definitely gave me the encouragement to like really get out there and, and, and do what, I didn't always feel like I wanted to do because of circumstances that we're all experiencing. It was nice to know that we could still put out the mystery mail call too, for example. And like we could play whatever small part we played in keeping things somewhat normal for people. Like they could get comics, even though their shops were all closed. There was like still an option for people to get comics and for us to, well, for you guys, I was always asleep or doing something else for people to get together and assemble these mystery mail calls and like, some semblance of, of normality. So I'm, I'm glad there was that at least. Heck yeah, man. This community is awesome. We hope that you're staying safe out there. Um, and it's not hope, over. Yeah, it's not way. over. Yeah. That's a thing. It's not over. It's still actively happening. So comic fan, I really appreciate you guys. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's fun, funny for us to kind of like riff on not be able to get toilet paper, but we know we're well aware that there's people who are losing their jobs, you know, there's, there's people who have health issues, family members with health issues, people who've lost loved ones. So, yeah. you know, our hearts go out to you, you know, and, and we're thinking about you and the community is too. And we've all been like stir crazy and cooped up at home and, and it's been months now, but like now that things are starting to open up too, it scares me a little bit. And I'm thinking like, just a reminder that even though things are starting to slowly open, it's not done. We didn't cure anything. There's no vaccine. Like it's not over. So, you know, Social distancing is still a pretty good idea. Isolation, if you can still, you know, manage to stay at home more often than not, is probably a smart idea to limit the spread and all that, like the things that we've been successfully doing for the past few months to flatten the curve, as they say. Probably a good idea to keep that up, you know, while we're navigating the uh, the comeback, so to speak. Wise words from Fire Guy Ryan. Glad to have you back, man. Good to be back. Comic fam. We'll see you soon.